Our most gracious and ever-living God, we give you thanks, we give you praise for the blessing of this new day. We thank you that you've gathered us together in your house, and as we're gathered now, we do pray that you'd be in the midst of us. Our most gracious God, as, as we're gathered now in your name, as we ask you to be in the midst of us, I pray as well that you would um, speak through the words which I share this morning, that not my word, but that your living word would go forth, that it would bring life to us, and that it would shape and fashion us for your service. And these things we ask not uh, in our merits, but in your mercies, made available to us in the gift of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, once again... Um, Good morning. Welcome. Uh, this Palm Sunday, I was talking with a buddy of mine um, this week, and uh, he used to be an Episcopal priest, and uh, he's now um, serving in a, he sort of has had a, um, a fascinating, circuitous um, route in ministry, and he's now uh, serving as a pastor in another denomination. And of course, every particular Christian denomination has its pluses and minuses, but one of the things that he's lamenting now is he said, you know, they just don't get Holy Week, um, you know, Palm Sunday. And, you know, he's, he's like, he's, he's, you know, um, uh, introducing liturgical changes uh, is something that you have to do over a period of decades. Um, and so he's, you know, sort of trying sort of slowly uh, introduce Palm Sunday and, and Monday, Thursday, et cetera. But anyway, we're, we're enormously fortunate uh, within our tradition to really have this, um, the, the way that the, Liturgy is shaped in fashion, the way that our, that our focus is, is drawn in such a way that we really can uh, more fully understand um, the glorious message of the gospel uh, to really fully, joyfully experience Easter um, in a week's time as we begin Holy Week um, with Palm Sunday, with, of course, that which we heard just a moment ago, um, what is so true of human nature, uh, just how, how quickly um, we turn from, from praising God to uh, condemning God, the necessity that we have for a Savior. The title of today's class is um, Via Crucius, um, Via Lucius. And um, oh, I'll tell you where I, where I got that. A church I used to serve, the Church of the Holy Cross on Sullivan's Island. Um, the rector there then and still the rector there now is a fellow by the name of John Burwell that was one of our Lenten preachers. And, and John, uh, John was a former DJ. Um, and uh, that's still, we, you know, we... We only sort of joked about the reality of we could do right one liturgy, all the lessons, hymns, etc., um, in 60 minutes or less because there was no dead air time. Um, you know, there was sort of no, no reverent um, pauses. You know, in the name of the God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and bam, off, off we went. And so any time I say the Church of the Holy Cross, I always think of John, Church of the Holy Cross near the water tower on Sullivan's Island. So it's still, uh, anyway, the, but above the uh, doors of the Church of the Holy Cross, is, as you entered, was inscribed, on the stone, via Crucius, um, via Lucius. The way of the cross is the way of light. Um, the way of the cross is the way of light. And clearly, that's a faith statement. Uh, the way of the cross is, is the way of light. Um, you and I um, know that. You and I can give thanks for that. But, but obviously, initially, um, it was anything. Uh, it seemed anything um, but light. It was humanity exposed in all of its darkness. And, of course, the reality is not just the people of Jesus' day, but, but you and me as well. Um, the, the cross um, shines light on the darkness of the human heart. It shines light on the darkness of the human condition. It, it reveals the necessity um, that we have for a Savior. But, of course, it also shines light as well because through the cross and through the resurrection, God opens to us on the way of everlasting life. There's that great 
stained glass window, of course, which y'all are familiar with in the church as you're looking at the pulpit um, to the right, uh, that, that amazing window with um, Jesus, with the crucifixion, with the resurrection, with um, the ascension, that sort of the, the gospel good news um, summed up there in that stained glass window. But above those um, three depictions, as you look at the top, you remember there's the angel. Um, I say it's an angel. Anyway, a herald, an angel, uh, whomever, but holding a banner. And do you all remember what the banner says? It is, it is finished. Um, that, that amazing um, proclamation of the Christian faith um, that, that it is finished. Well, as we reflect this morning um, on the way of the cross being the way of light, uh, I want us to look uh, sort of at a number of different things, and I've organized it um, for my brain. It's kind of like granimals for teaching, um, and, I'm, and I'm using S's um, so we can... Um, and also, it's kind of a nice thing for y'all, you know, when we're getting close. Uh, but anyway, we're going to focus on... Um, what is revealed to us about God um, through the cross. And, and we see that God is a seeker um, of you and me. We see God as a seeker. We see God um, giving himself as a sacrifice um, for our sins, for the sins of the whole world. We see God as he is revealed as our Savior. Uh, we see God who is a sustainer, who is a shepherd um, for you and for me. We read this morning from Mark's Gospel, um, the Passion uh, from Mark's Gospel, and one of the things, I don't know about y'all, but one of the things that always seemed particularly curious to me uh, in Mark's Gospel, and, it, and it's one of, the, one of the themes of Mark's Gospel. There, there are a number of um, particular themes throughout the Gospel, but one is the command of silence. And I don't know about y'all, but that always just struck me as curious, because you think about Sunday school, you know, you're, you're, supposed, to, you're supposed to go and tell others, right? You're supposed to share um, the good news. That's what you were sort of schooled in uh, from the beginning and, and going forward. And of course, you think about the reality as, as well as, you know, Jesus Christ has come forth um, into the world, that this is news which is to be shared. But yet uh, we see repeatedly, um, particularly uh, in the be- beginning to the middle portion of Mark's gospel, the command of silence, when, the, uh, when lepers are cleansed, when demons are cast out, even when Peter uh, makes that confession of Jesus, um, that you um, are the Christ, that you are the Messiah. There's the command to tell no one. And I, am I the only one? Has that ever struck y'all as, as, as curious? Well, let me tell you um, the reason behind that. And, and the reason behind that um, is this. It was the reality um, that for, well, with the demons, obviously you don't want to have the demons be the one who proclaim you. Um, that's, kind of, that, that's kind of simple and straightforward. But, but what about the lepers um, that were cleansed? What about um, the disciples? Well, uh, James Edwards uh, has written a great commentary on Mark's Gospel. And let me say, if any of y'all are looking for a commentary, it's, uh, it's arguably my, my favorite commentary. It's, it's just absolutely fantastic. It's both um, evangelistic and it, and it applies to life very readily, but it's also um, uh, has a lot of meat and a lot of substance as well. Not in a, not a, I'm able to understand it. You can understand it too. Not in a dense way, so I really recommend it to you. But anyway, he writes this, uh, about the theme of secrecy, and this is the significance to what we're about to reflect on this morning. And he, he says these words, Finally, Mark employs the secrecy theme in order to teach that until the cross, Jesus cannot be rightly known for who he is. Um, so it's, a, it's, a, it's not a permanent, it's a temporary. It's the reality that it's not until the cross um, that Jesus can be known for who he fully is. And he goes on, um, goes on to say this, Only at the cross can Jesus be rightly known 
not simply as a great moral teacher or as the most noble person who ever lived, nor only as a miracle worker or as an answer to this or that pressing question of the world. At the cross, Jesus is revealed as the suffering Son of God, whose rejection, suffering, and death reveal the triumph of God. Only at Golgotha can Jesus be rightly known as God incognito, who reveals himself to those who are willing to deny themselves and follow him in costly discipleship. But I think that was that, that helped me see only, uh, only in the cross um, can Jesus uh, be known. And so we have before us today, um, of course, Jesus' crucifixion placed before us. And, and it's through that lens um, that we begin to understand God. It's through that lens that we begin to understand um, the good news and, and who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish on behalf of you and of me. Well, first, um, we hear of Jesus um, as the seeker. One of the, of course, incredible things uh, about the message of the gospel is that God, despite um, our rebellion, despite um, our intransigence, despite the fact um, that we did not um, merit um, this intervention on our behalf, he's come to seek and to save us. Um, In the 10th chapter of Mark's gospel, um, Jesus is preparing the disciples as he's going toward um, Jerusalem to help them understand um, who he is and what he has come to accomplish. And he, we hear that Jesus uh, is, is teaching them. Actually, this is right after, um, this is right after uh, he, uh, James and John um, asked Jesus if they can sit uh, on his uh, right hand and on his left when he comes uh, into his glory. And, of course, Jesus' glory um, is, is the cross. They, they have no idea um, what, they're, what they're asking him. And in response, we hear that the ten um, were indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you uh, must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, we hear of God coming forth into the world to seek us, to save us, to restore us in relationship um, with God. In C.S. Lewis's book, Miracles, he shares a story which, which really sort of helps uh, illustrate this in a really vivid way about the way in which God comes to seek us. And he, and he says this, in the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. One has the picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. He must almost disappear under the load before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. Or one may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with the splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks surface again, holding in his hand the dripping and precious thing that he went down to recover. He and it are both colored now, that they have come up into the light. Uh, Down below, where it lay colorless in the dark, he lost his color too. Uh, Of course, 
in many ways what Lewis is talking about there is, is the miracle of the incarnation that Jesus um, took on um, human flesh and form, that he, that he descended um, to humanity. Some people say he, he condescended, he came down um, to us to seek us and to save us, to, to draw us up out of the ooze and the slime um, and the old decay. He went down um, after something precious. And, and part of, of course, the, the miracle of the message um, is that precious thing that he came to seek um, is you and me. Uh, that, that amazing message that, that despite um, our actions, um, despite um, the things we have done and the things that we have left undone, God and his love and his grace and his mercy has proactively sought us. In the cross, one of the things we see is, is God as a seeker, as a seeker, the one who came to give his life as a ransom for many, the one who came um, to seek and to save us. Um, I, I won't go into... Uh, I won't go into, into uh, great detail, but, you know, I always marvel uh, as I look at uh, a lot of these uh, young kids today, as, as I look at, at my own kids, um, I'm really amazed because I really have, have three great kids. And you know how you always hear, you know, well, God will, uh, it, it's not over yet. Um, but, but, you know, um, you know how God will, you know, basically, if you know, well, oh, yeah, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll get yours. Well, I was not... Um, I was not the model high schooler. Um, uh, you know, I'd love to say, you know, that, you know, I hear Andrew talk about Bible studies. Um, yeah, that, that was, I was not that kid. Um, so anyway, I was, a, I was a soccer player and I was uh, um, in, and, in and out of trouble. And, and one of the things that really, uh, in, in large part, um, really one of the primary things in large part that, that led to my, what I would say, what led to my conversion um, was, the, was the steadfast um, Seeking love of my of my parents, a, a love that it was in many ways, uh, in, in the best possible way, a, a combative love, um, uh, a love that that sought me um, regardless of my actions, that sought me regardless uh, of my of my direction, a love that wasn't uh, that wasn't merited, that wasn't deserved, that that wasn't earned, and yet a love that continued to seek me and to call me um, back to them and to call me um, back to God as well. And as I as shared before, I didn't suddenly, as a 17 year old, say, you know. Thank you, Mom and Dad. God bless you. Um, you know, I really, uh, I, I see your sacrifice, and, and it's such a wonderful evangelistic message, and I'm going to be different um, from today um, going forward. It was later, college, took, took, a, little, took a little time, but, but I, I share that by way of saying one of the things that the cross reveals to us is a God who seeks us, um, a God who comes forth into the world um, that, we might be, that we might be brought to God, that we might be restored, and we also see... In addition to a God who seeks us and who um, pursues us with, with a wonderful, relentless grace, we also see a God um, who comes and gives himself um, as a sacrifice as well. Um, there was, of course, what you're probably familiar with. There was the whole um, sacrificial system, both um, there uh, in the temple, but also in their, in their daily life of devotion. There were particular holy days, the day... Uh, of atonement, the the Passover. There were different things in which they remembered the ways uh, in which God had sought them, remembered the ways uh, in which God had extended uh, himself to them and, and the necessity that they had um, for um, a sacrifice. But, of course, uh, we see that all of those um, were not sufficient um, to reconcile them to God. And we see that in Jesus, God himself comes to offer himself um, as a sacrifice and to once and for all, um, fulfill that whole sacrificial system to once and for all enable us to be people 
um, who come into God's presence to offer himself as the once and for all sufficient sacrifice. Um, have any of y'all, I say, have any of y'all heard about, of course you've heard about, any of y'all familiar at all um, with the Hunger Games? Um, really, uh, really popular right now. Some of y'all may have read the books or seen the movies. Some of your kids may have, uh, may have read the books. I, I read the, um, I read the series, was it the, the Hunger Games, uh, is it, what, what's, what's, Catching Fire, exactly, and then Mocking Jay. I, I was going to say Girl on Fire, but I think that's, yeah, that's another, um, yeah, that's definitely not what I'm referring to. Um, but anyway, yeah, Catching Fire, um, Mocking Jay, an, an interesting, um, it's, it's an interesting series. I, you know, it's kind of one of those, I, I read these things under pretense, you know, got to, know what's out there, what the kids are reading, et cetera, but, I, but to be honest, as, as far as I got hooked on it, um, and, you know, soon found myself reading, reading all three in the series and, and, and so forth and so on, but it's, but it's an interesting, uh, and I'll try sort of not too much of a, a spoiler here, but um, long and short is this, uh, the, the setting is this sort of uh, apocalyptic um, setting, there's been this uh, great civil war which has happened, you know, sort of you take the United States and there's been this great civil war um, that's broken out, and one particular district has come out um, victorious. And this particular district, this sort of central power is the tyrant now um, over all of the other districts. Uh, and, and in many ways, what, what's, what's interesting about it, it, it could be uh, in its own, not an exact parallel, but sort of Rome and the, and the people uh, of Israel, for instance, because what you have is you have this um, central um, power, and every year as a reminder... Um, to the people of who's in charge, um, you know, just, you know, don't forget um, who's in charge. Every year a sacrifice has to be paid. Uh, and from each district, two children have to go forth into the Hunger Games. It's like the gladiators. They, they go into this. Uh, it's sort of, it's, it's an interesting uh, commentary, just both on human nature and, of course, also our, um, our reality TV um, lust as well, because it's, it's basically it's a reality TV series. And so each district has to provide two kids um, that go to the Hunger Games every year. And there's this fight to the death. And one uh, and one person gets to walk out. And of course, as you might imagine, in the, in the capital, it's wildly popular. Uh, they're just so um, excited about this reality series that happens uh, every year. And, and as, as I say, there's uh, there's the requirement um, from this from the central power that there should be um, and atoning for their sins in the past, so they remember what they did in the past, and to sort of satisfy um, the powers that be. There's this, uh, there's this game that happens every year, and there's one particular character. Um, I sound like a teenage girl now, Katniss Everdeen, and she's uh, so. Uh, but there's this one particular girl, uh, and so she gets her sister, her little sister, um, is actually chosen. Um, her her baby sister that she loves, Prem. Uh, Primrose is the name of her little sister, and so she volunteers to take um, her sister's place um, in the game, and so she she goes forth in the game. I'll sort of uh, I'll sort of stop there because you kind of again that not to if you decide I know you're just you're going to rush right out and buy the books, but if any of you decide to read it, you, you get the idea. So there's this whole idea of um, this sacrifice. There's this whole idea of this sort of central group that holds this um, terror. Um, over the people, well, one of the things that um, begins to happen with, with what Katniss does is that that whole power structure um, begins to unravel um, because of her willing 
um, sacrifice because of her refusal um, to play the game on the terms of, of the powers that be. Well, you know, as I say, there, there's, some, there's some interesting things that are, that are going on in that. But the reason I share that with you is this. So we see that, of course, Jesus Christ has come forth into the world um, as, as a sacrifice. And as we've heard before, as we've talked about before, God being simultaneously a God of, uh, a God of love and a God who is also... Uh, has a righteous wrath and indignation towards sin, uh, and that Jesus has come to absorb, God in himself absorbs um, his wrath, the just punishment for sin God takes upon himself uh, in Jesus, that you and I might be recipients uh, of grace. But one of the things that we see for the people of Rome, um, every sort of um, totalitarian regime has their instrument of terror um, that they use to strike fear um, and the people that they use to subjugate the people, to keep um, people down, to let them know uh, just, just who's in charge. Uh, and if you step out of line, this is what happens to you. And, of course, um, what, was, what was Rome's? That's right. This is the participation portion of uh, today's class. That's right. The answer was exactly. We're all, we're all wearing them um, today. The, the instrument um, for Rome was, was the cross. Uh, and and it, was a, it was a substantial um, deterrent. And, and one of the things that, that y'all might be familiar with, of course, uh, one of the things about the cross was it was, um, it was especially brutal uh, and it was designed um, to be brutal. It was designed to be um, intimidating. It was designed to make death um, agonizing. But, but before, before you were even um, placed upon the cross, and we heard about this in the gospel again this morning, one of the things that would happen, you would be scourged and what that entailed was being uh, strapped to a post and, and beaten with um, these uh, leather straps. But in, into the leather straps were inserted uh, bones and, and bits of metal um, so, that the, so that the flesh um, would be lacerated, so that often the entrails would be exposed. People often died um, in the scourging before um, they even got to the cross. But it was also sort of... Um, uh, sort of a, a, a cruel streamlining as well. They wanted the cross and the crucifixion to last a while, but not too long. And so it was sort of to move people on um, toward death. It was a, it was a terrifying um, thing. But not only was it a terrifying thing, uh, just from a physical standpoint, um, but it was also um, intended to be shameful uh, and embarrassing as well. It was done in very um, public places. The people... Um, were, were often stripped. It was, it was designed to intimidate on any number of levels, both um, from a fiscal standpoint, but also from a shame and humiliation and degradation standpoint as well. It was done publicly. It was done along the way so that others um, could see you, so that others could see what happens to people who go up against um, the powers that be. But we hear that um, Jesus Christ, rather than steering away from that, um, that he steered toward that. Um, for you and for me, I, uh, I, don't, I don't know about Shaw, but, but who among us doesn't steer away from pain? Um, who among us um, doesn't steer away uh, from hardship? Uh, but we see that God and his grace and his love and the way that he came to seek and to save us doesn't steer away from that, but actually um, steers um, toward that. Not in, a, uh, not in a sadistic way, exactly. Not in, a, not in a masochistic way, but in a way in which to once and for all break um, the power of that, to once and to, for all um, open to us um, the way uh, of new and risen life. We see that he comes forth 
uh, as a seeker to seek us. He comes for us as a sacrifice for our sins, but we also see the necessity for, and that he is for you and for me, um, a Savior, that he goes forth um, with difficulty, um, but willingly. And we see that the people choose um, Barabbas. It's actually interesting, um, Barabbas, uh, what the name literally means is son of the father. Uh, Abba uh, is, is father, Bar is, Bar is uh, son of. Um, Barabbas' name actually means um, the son of the father. So it's interesting as we see um, Pilate offering um, to let someone go, offering um, Jesus and offering um, Barabbas. It's interesting that, that the true um, son of the father um, is rejected um, by the people, whereas um, Barabbas, who was, um, you know, who was, was a militant, uh, is, is, is freed. And Jesus goes forth um, to the cross um, as our Savior, uh, the one who gives his life um, as a ransom for many. And one of the things, of course, we hear as well is that um, Jesus um, goes uh, to the cross um, for you and for me as he sort of once and for all goes um, to defeat on the power of sin and death uh, to open to us that, that way on the way of light. One of the things that's interesting as well is that, of course, uh, not just uh, we don't just see the darkness of the people and the insults um, that are hurled at him at, at the taunts um, that are hurled at him, but also quite literally on the earth as well. We hear that the sky, uh, the sky turns black. There's, there's a darkness which descends uh, upon the earth um, during this time. And we hear that as Jesus uh, is crucified as he breathes um, his last. As his final words, one of the things that we hear is that the curtain of the temple um, is, is torn in two. And, and the, the Greek word for that is shazine, um, not shazam. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's shazine. And interestingly, um, that word uh, is used only twice in, in Mark's gospel. Uh, and the first time was at the baptism of Jesus uh, when we hear that the heavens were rent, um, that the heavens... Um, were torn open, uh, that the Son of God, uh, that, that the voice of God came forth uh, and spoke, this is, this is my Son. Um, listen to him. We hear that that word Shazan is used as the heavens were rent as Jesus was baptized. And we hear now at Jesus' crucifixion and his death once more, uh, that word is used as the curtain of the temple um, is torn in two uh, from top um, to bottom. Once again, God um, is, is revealed uh, and all of his glory um, to you and to me. Uh, this a little sort of excursus here, a little a little aside. One of the things that we see, which is uh, um, you know Paul talks about, would would be challenging for any particular culture. The the cross of Jesus um, being um, folly um, to the Greeks and a stumbling block um, to the Jews. Uh, you know, uh, as Andrew uh, talked about today. You know, we we want a victorious God. Um, we you know we don't want this God who sort of stumbles through a, to a throne. There was a great poem um, back in the day by Edward Shillitoe, and he had been, was an Englishman that had seen the ravages uh, of, of the World War. And as you might imagine, he was involved uh, as, as a medic uh, during the war and just saw the, the horrors uh, of war and experienced them um, firsthand and, and came back to a country, of course, that had um, experienced, you know, not only um, destruction to buildings and so forth and so on, but just destruction in families and lives as well with so many lives lost. And, and he wrote a poem, and it was entitled um, Jesus of the Scars. And he talked about um, how the, all the other gods were proud, um, sort of, you know, all the other gods proclaimed, sort of um, rode 
um, road to glory. But he said, but, but you stumbled um, to a throne. And he, and, he, and he says, where are those wounds? Where are those scars? We need them now. No other God has wounds um, but you alone. What, what he was talking about was the um, grace of God given who, who understands our wounds, um, who was wounded um, for us and who through those wounds uh, brings healing and brings life. That which is spoken of um, in Isaiah, uh, all those wonderful suffering servant songs about by his wounds um, we are healed. We, we see that Jesus comes forth in the world um, to be a savior and through what he accomplished on the cross, um, we are we are healed. But the curtain of the temple um, is, is torn in two and the significance, as I say, uh, is significant on a number of levels. Uh, of course, one of the things that you're probably familiar with was that within the temple there were there were numerous um, distinctions and there were numerous divisions. There was the court um, of the Gentiles um, where people like you and me um, could come. But on that uh, on that uh, the wall separating the court of the Gentiles from inside, there was a, a sign and it was written in uh, sort of Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic and Latin just so everybody could understand. It's basically, you know, if you if you cross this threshold. Uh, and you're not a Jew, you will be killed. Um, it was, you know, it was not the Episcopal Church welcomes you. Um, it was sort of, there's a very um, distinct um, division here. There was, there was the court of the Gentiles, and within uh, the next court, there was the court um, for the Jewish women. The, the Jewish women could go into that court. And then there was yet another court, um, the court uh, of where the Jewish men, where the men of Israel could enter. And then, of course, um, beyond that, uh, at the center, um, divided with this great curtain was the Holy of Holies, um, the mercy seat. Um, of God, that in which the high priest entered once a year um, on the Day of Atonement, that which the people could not um, enter into. And we hear, of course, that the curtain uh, of that temple uh, is torn in two, and the significance uh, is, is fairly easy for us to see. Um, through Jesus, through um, the cross, through what he accomplished uh, on our behalf, we're able, through his merits and through his sacrifice, to enter into the presence of God. Uh, that rather than people who receive uh, the condemnation and the judgment, which we so rightly deserve, we receive adoption uh, as God's sons and daughters through our faith in Christ. Through his sacrifice for us, we're able um, to enter into um, God's presence. The amazing word of good news, which is made known to us of a God who seeks us, of a God who is the once and for all sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, a God who gives himself as a Savior, because we deeply, desperately need a Savior. What we see of the human condition exemplified not just on Palm Sunday, but always we, we need a Savior beyond ourselves to come in uh, and to seek and to save us. And we see as well um, that God uh, and His great love and His mercy, that salvation is something that we experience in the life to come, but it's also something which we experience now. Uh, a God who um, sustains us um, in our lives, whose grace um, is sufficient for us. A God um, who shepherds us uh, as well. John 10, that great um, where Jesus uh, talks about um, who he is, talks about um, what God is like. He, he describes himself um, as a shepherd. And, and, of course, one of the things that he talks about is the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Uh, he lays it down um, and takes it up again um, that, that we might have life. We hear of a God who is with us, but also a God um, who has gone before us as well. And so the word um, which we hear in a... There's more, but I'm just going to I'm going to stop in, in just a moment here. But the word of good news uh, given to us is a God um, who in his love and his grace, he seeks us um, that that we might be drawn to him, who gives himself um, as a sacrifice um, for us, who is our savior and whose 
sustains us, and a God um, who shepherds us, who leads and guides us and promises um, that he will not leave us uh, as orphans. Um, one of the things that was interesting, um, you've, you've probably heard about this guy, Tim Tebow. Um, anyway, he's, kind of, he's, a, he's a football player. It's, it, as, as an aside, I think it's hilarious that he's playing for the Jets um, now. Sort of of all, you know, it, it would have been even better if he'd gone to the Raiders. Uh, but still, this is still, this is still pretty funny, um, pretty ironic of, of, of the people he would land with uh, to land with the Jets. But it was interesting, of course, you know, all the, all the drama since his um, entrance into the NFL. You know, would he ever, would he ever be able to be a quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, sure. He was a, he's a, he's a great athlete. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a great guy. He's a man of morals and principles, but you know, he just, you know, he can't be a drop back passer. He, he can never succeed um, in the NFL. And of course he's sort of you know, tried to stick to his guns here, but it's kind of interesting in his recent uh, interview when he went to the Jets, and I'm sure all of you have followed this as closely as I have, but um, one of the things um, that he talked about, was kind of, it was kind of interesting, and he, and he sort of finally began to admit, he said, you know what, who knows, maybe I'll never be, uh, maybe I'll never be a starting quarterback uh, in the NFL. It's kind of, you know, kind of for the first time saying, you know what, hey, I'm not saying you're right, but, but, but maybe. But it was interesting, one of the things he commented on, he commented on because of because of his relationship with God, because of what he knows uh, about the character of God, uh, he said this. He said, you know, really, I don't have to worry about the future. Uh, and it was really, it was a great witness um, and a great word um, for you and for me in a, in a very um, practical way as well. Yes, as we think about, as we give thanks for um, the salvation made available to us in the life to come, but also the power it gives to us for our life right here and right now of a God who seeks and saves. The, the reality is, is that um, with that good news in our life, we really don't have to worry about the future. Some things will work out well. Some things will work out um, not so well. But, uh, okay, but the, but the main thing has been addressed. The main thing has been taken care of. And, of course, that was the amazing transformation which happened with the disciples and the apostles as, as they went forth. We, we hear that sometimes things went great for them. Sometimes things went terrible for them. But, but they had an unshakable joy uh, and hope and confidence because of what they had seen through Jesus' cross and through his resurrection. And that, that same power and hope and assurance and good news is available um, for you and for me as well. I, I laughed years ago. Sally, my youngest, um, uh, we got a call from the teacher and she was having difficulty seeing. She would, she would hold the book um, real close real close to her. And we're, you know, so we, anyway, we, we take her to the optometrist and it was... Ridiculous how worried we were that she might have to get glasses. Um, you know, I actually have them. My life is going on. But, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we just got so oh, God, poor thing. She's just, oh, what if she has to get glasses? And we just, oh, that would just be that would just be terrible. Well, it turns out, um, as an aside, what it was was when she couldn't read the word, she pretended she couldn't see it. So it turned out when he got to the, her, her vision was fine. She just, you know, she was bluffing. Um, so... What it, what it turned out to be, like Sal, um, it turned out to be um, nothing at all. But again, it was, you know, it was funny how wrapped up we got over. I mean, we kind of caught it and said, really? Come on. Um, but anyway, I share all that by way of saying uh, we have available to us what we see so alive and at work in the lives of the disciples. We can be people who don't have to get rattled um, by things. It doesn't mean we don't experience all sort of the, the, the fullness of emotions because we do. It doesn't say we shouldn't be, you know, you don't have to always be smiling spirit fingers. Um, but it does mean that we can be people whose reality is one of joy 
uh, whose reality uh, is one of hope, whose reality is one of certainty, because um, our hope and security aren't based on our merits, but on his, who came to seek us, who is our Savior, um, who is our salvation, who sustains and shepherds us. Uh, and as we hear that this day, as we give thanks, are, are there any uh, questions or rebuttals that you all have at this time? Well, I'd just like to interject that the uh, son of the father is the same father that Jesus chastised the Pharisees, that their father was the devil. Yeah. Thank you for that editorial. Uh, Mr. Tan? Yeah. Craig, in talking about uh, Jesus after the miracle saying, go and tell no one, mm-hmm. well, why didn't word get around after his baptism? You know, that's... Uh, that's that's a uh, that's a great question, Mary Kay, and it's such a great question. I don't necessarily have an answer. I have a, have some spec have some speculation. I mean, one of the things the, the word definitely did spread. Um, I guess we you know to to what extent? But I mean, even after he commanded them to silence, of course we we realized that more often than not they didn't listen to Jesus. Um, you know, surprise. Um, but uh, but word did begin to spread, and some might surmise that that part of the command of silence was was. Um, for the period of time for ministry to be accomplished because obviously opposition continued to rise. So word did, I guess to some degree I'd say word, word did spread about him, which of course is part of what we see in the crucifixion as well, motivated uh, really in large part by envy by the chief priests and the scribes uh, and, and the Pharisees. Surely there were some, some theological differences that probably exist, but, 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 but the chief driving thing seemed to be envy. Um, that, that the people were the people were going out to him. The people um, were going after them. That he that he was radically um, upsetting um, everything around him. So I guess I'd say the word did begin um, to spread. But I guess the the point which uh, Edwards made, and I, and I think he's right about this in commenting on Mark's gospel, is the point that they really couldn't understand who Jesus was. They really couldn't fully understand. Um, what he came to accomplish till they understood him through the lens of the cross because it was such a radically challenging message for them and for you and for me as well that God's glory was uh, went forth not in spite of his humiliation, not in spite of his suffering, not in spite of his rejection, but actually through those things that his glory went forth. And that's a, that's a radical challenge to human thinking then uh, as well as now. Well, let me offer a prayer. We have uh, just a few minutes, and um, we've got to go get vested in our snappy um, Palm Sunday vestments. So uh, let me let me pray. Most gracious God, we give you thanks. We give you praise for this community of faith. Uh, you have uh, blessed us here um, beyond belief. Lord, we thank you uh, even more so uh, for the gift of your Son, who is our Savior, that you know our needs better than we know them ourselves. You know our ignorance in asking, and you and your love and grace and mercy have acted on our behalf. Lord, by the work and the power and the presence of your Spirit, bring this truth home to our hearts and to our lives. Pray not only that you would bring this truth home to us, but that it would shape and fashion us in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we serve you and others, that your good news might go forth. As we go forth now, be with us. Guide and direct us always, we pray. And we ask all these things in the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.